Hello, and welcome to the Wild Heart Meditation Center podcast. We release these episodes every week on Wednesday mornings, and the best way to support us is by clicking subscribe and taking a moment to rate the podcast wherever you are listening. If you'd like to support our efforts to keep the nonprofit Meditation Center open in Nashville, you can donate via Venmo by sending your donation to at Wild Heart Nashville, or you can make a donation through our website, wildheartmeditationcenter.org, by clicking the Donate tab. Peace and love. Hope you enjoy. This morning I want to speak on the topic of self-compassion, share some reflections uh, for a little bit, and then we'll do a practice together. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, I talked about metta, the Buddhist teachings on loving kindness. And one of the ways that we're uh, invited to practice loving kindness as a meditation practice is to start with someone that it's easy to feel that way towards. And we sometimes call this uh, a benefactor or just the the easy person to feel easeful towards. And we reflected on some of these people in our life, and they don't always have to be people. They can be pets. Uh, They can be teachers that we've had, or mentors, or loved ones, friends. And so I thought we could start today in talking about compassion, just taking a moment to reflect on someone in your life that feels like a compassionate presence. This person doesn't have to be perfectly compassionate, but at moments in time in your life that they've been there in a way that has felt like the nurturing support that you need. And if you would uh, oblige me, we're just gonna do a little bit of open sharing for a second. I'm curious what words come to mind if you take a moment to really Reflect on this person, like envision them in your mind. There's no right or wrong answer, but what words come to mind that you associate with this person? What qualities does this person have that make them feel compassionate? And we'll say them out loud. Accepting. Say it again. Warm. Warm. Yeah, warm. Safe. Safe. Generous. Generous. Humble. Humble. Patient. Patient. Selfless. Selfless. Empathy. Empathy. Well intentioned. Well intentioned. Say that again. Long suffering. Long suffering. They've been through it. Yes. So yeah, this is good because when I hear about you know topics like compassion, I know it's something that I value intellectually. It's something that I'd say I want to live my life by. It's something I want to seek in my relationships. It's something I want to embody as a father and as a friend and all of these things, but it, it's sometimes an elusive quality, you know, because when, when the going gets tough, a lot of times I judge how I'm doing based on how I'm feeling. I don't really think I'm being compassionate because I'm not feeling 
full of this emotion that I think sometimes we misunderstand compassion as this light, loving emotion. But compassion in the Buddhist context is really, it's a wise response to pain. It's a, it's a willingness to be with what we normally don't want to be with. And so a lot of times, I just want to say this up top, is I'm doing a lot better than I'm feeling in this realm of compassion. A lot of times I'm really trying to care for the pain that I'm experiencing. And sometimes in, in distorted ways or unhelpful ways. And, you know, but deep down underneath even all of my reactive patterns is usually at the base is just the, the general feeling that I care. I care so much that I want the pain to go away. And so thank you for helping with the reflection on compassion. I think usually when we talk about compassion, we can go down two roads. And like all things Buddhist, these two roads are deeply interconnected. Uh, but they have different emphasis. And so I just want to offer a little bit of clarification up front. Um, the first road is that we, when we talk about compassion, we can talk about compassion for others. We might call this engaged compassion or compassionate action? Like what are the ways that we can go out into the world and help alleviate some of the pain that's caused through injustices, you know, in active ways, trying to uproot the causes of suffering in our, in our world? And we do this in micro ways, and some of us want to do this in macro ways through activism or organizational work. But we also do this within our family systems. We want to try to you know, say kind things or help people out when they're on hard times or often offer generosity in some form or fashion. And the second type of compassion, which is deeply interconnected, is this quality of, of the heart. It's an internal resource of compassion. And as, as the Buddha would describe it, it is what we call a Brahma-vihara, which is one of these kind of four heart qualities. It's a quality of the heart and the mind that we have, but that we can also cultivate. And interestingly, in the 2,600-year-old tradition, uh, this Buddhist tradition, there's no word for mindfulness, and there's no word for meditation. These came much later. The word that the Buddha uses is bhavana, which means cultivation. So he's really encouraging us, and as one of my teachers, Thai forest monk named Ajahn Sumedho says, he's encouraging us not to follow our heart, but to train our heart. And compassion is, a, a, I think, an innate quality of the heart. If it wasn't, then when I was in pain, I wouldn't feel anything. You know, we care pretty immediately and directly when we're in pain or going through a hard time. But that often, because we're not really able to sit with the pain and consider it and reflect on it because it's hard to hold, we are reactive when we're in pain. And so we need to train the heart to be more responsive and less reactive around pain when we're in it. And meditation is kind of a, a, it's a wild thing because you're intentionally sitting down and in compassion meditation, bringing to mind the pain that you're experiencing. 
and working on generating this quality of compassion as an inner resource. And this isn't a judgment or a comparison, but I think it is helpful to say to just notice how rare and precious this is, is that many people don't spend a day in their life intentionally sitting with their pain and attempting to care for it. And that's not to say that they don't have compassion or they don't act compassionately or they don't know what it is. And we, you know, It's not that. It's just that doing this practice is, I think, quite a, a radical thing. And, and today I really wanted to focus on the second type of compassion, which is compassion for ourselves, compassion in our own heart and minds, because I really believe it's the foundation in which we can less reactively bring compassion into the world. If I can sit with my pain and my suffering, I can more easily show up for your pain and your suffering. And there's a sutta that the Buddha offered on this. Um, yeah, I could give a lot of context. You know, sometimes the suttas have old school language, uh, seemingly somewhat religious language. Um, and we can work with that as we listen to them. Like in this one, the Buddha talks about taming ourselves and taming others. But I think what he means here is this, this word cultivation, cultivating ourselves and cultivating compassion for others. So what the Buddha says is he says, if one is not tamed oneself and wishes to tame someone else who is untamed, that is impossible. If one is drowning oneself and wishes to rescue someone else who is drowning, that is impossible. If one has not extinguished one's own reactivity in their heart and wishes to make someone else that has reactivity in their heart extinguished of that reactivity, that is impossible. But if one has tamed oneself and wishes to tame someone who is untamed, that is certainly possible. If one is not drowning oneself and wishes to rescue someone else who is drowning, that is certainly possible. If one has extinguished one's own reactivity in their heart and wishes to support someone else to extinguish the reactivity in their heart, then that is certainly possible. So compassion is a training. It's something we have. It's something that happens often spontaneously at times. But as we know, when we're around people, oftentimes our family, <laughs> the people we're closest to, uh, it's a really, it's a challenging practice. I think it's quite a, a courageous practice. Because our conditioned response when we're in a moment of pain or discomfort is to want it to go away, is to resist it, is to react angrily towards it, is to try to control it, is to ignore it, is to cover up with the feeling with niceties and kindness, but not really dealing with the underlying feelings that we're experiencing around it. And I know that even in neuroscience, they talk about how we have this negativity bias, how our brain processes unpleasant stimuli at a fraction of a second, but that it takes about 12 seconds when focusing on something good to actually connect with it, to feel regulated and resourced by it. 
you know so when you're looking at the sunset like actually having to soak it in in order to feel that moment of gratitude or appreciation whereas an annoying sound just takes a fraction of a second to set us off <laughs> so i guess what i'm saying is that it's not personal that we're reactive around pain it's just our conditioning we don't like it our brain comes to equate pain with threat something that we need to fix and something that we need to solve and i really want to focus on this part of compassion this morning too is what i call the unsolvable problem and the buddha goes into this and i'll talk about it here in a moment he goes into this when he shares about this first noble truth or really this task it's not a capital t truth it's more of an invitation to practice around suffering around dukkha and it's interesting to me this was the buddha's first ever teaching the first thing that really ever came out of his mouth is have you realized that in this human experience that you're living there's a tremendous amount of pain and suffering he says he goes on to say birth is pain and suffering aging is pain and suffering sickness is pain and suffering death is pain and suffering being separated from those that are dear to you is pain and suffering not getting what you want is pain and suffering he literally says that not getting what you want is pain and suffering and i think it was a opportunity to normalize that being human is full of sorrow is full of loss is full full of impermanence and then there's so much that we can't do about it actually there's so much powerlessness that we experience around pain and suffering let's say that a friend comes up to you maybe you're getting coffee and they tell you that they just went through a breakup or let's say that they tell you that they just lost their parent or that they were just diagnosed with cancer or that they just got laid off from a job or that they were just in a car accident none of these things we can fix we can and oftentimes i think prematurely we can jump to try to support and i say prematurely because there's a space there's a process of compassion i think It's not an intellectual process, it's a feeling process of compassion that oftentimes because we have a hard time sitting with our powerlessness over other people's pain and suffering and our own, we try to jump to fix and resolve it. Cuz it's hard to be with. I've had people ask me, I'm a therapist, you know, what do you say to someone when they're going through a hard time or when, you know, their parent died or they lost a child or they're going through tremendous periods of grief and i tell them that there's nothing you can say because the point is not to say anything or to do anything the po- point is to try to be there with them in that moment easier said than done So I do think true compassion is a courageous act. 
you know, because it's a willingness to be open to something without needing to fix it. And the word courage, the etymology of, of that word means of the heart. And I looked into this a few months ago because sometimes I need new content for Dharma Talks because I say the same thing over and over again. I was like, I'm going to re-look into the etymology of the word courage. I looked at actually what it literally means. So it means of the heart, but what that literally means is it means of the seat of feelings. Of the seat of feelings. So courage literally means like the willingness to sit with all of that shit. The pain, the powerlessness, the confusion, the sorrow. Sitting in it, sitting with it, sitting through it. I think that's one of the things I've got to remember about courage is sometimes even having compassion doesn't mean that the pain goes away. We talk about this a lot with acceptance. The tricky thing about acceptance is accepting something doesn't mean that the thing changes. And it also doesn't mean that how we feel about it changes. It just means we're more accepting about how we feel about it. Right? So I do think that that compassion, if you can gather from what I'm saying, is a very tricky practice. And I wanted to uh, talk about these four aspects of compassion. This is just something I've reflected on over time. Because I think that there are many different parts of this practice. There are four, four of them that I've found, but of course these things probably bleed into each other in a, in a lot of ways. The first is I think compassion requires understanding. And so now we're going to switch the focus of compassion to compassion for ourselves. So when I'm in a moment of, of pain or difficulty in my life or there's something challenging going on or there's a conflict between a friend or, or I'm feeling dissatisfied with uh, you know, my life or work, you know, do I, do I actually sit down to try to look at it or look into it? So I think understanding is the looking at it part of compassion. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't want to hear it. I don't want to look at it. And that's okay, too. Sometimes I'm not yet ready to actually investigate the things that are painful or challenging or difficult. I wouldn't say I really want to just be in them, but I haven't gotten to that point where maybe looking at it or sitting with it will, will help. The second is empathy. Empathy is often mistaken for compassion. It's a major component of compassion, but it's not the complete piece of it. Empathy is the willingness to feel with. And I would say that empathy largely includes our body. It largely includes the feeling experience. Equanimity, it's a Buddhist word. Maybe a non-Buddhist comparable word is acceptance. Acceptance, or there's kind of non-attachment. Equanimity kind of holds both of those things at the same time. 
And what equanimity is, is it's the process and compassion is actually like making space for what we're feeling. So I'm looking at what I'm feeling. I'm willing to sit with the feelings. And then I'm also allowing myself to give those feelings space. And then compassion is really the last step, which is caring and in some ways wishing for the causes and the conditions that are causing the stress and suffering to be alleviated. Even though we know we oftentimes can't do anything, we still wish for freedom from the causes of the suffering or the stress. I hope that the thing gets resolved. I hope that I find satisfaction and happiness and peace in my life. And this is an unconditional wish. So it means that even if it doesn't happen the way I want it to, I hope that the suffering comes to an end for myself. So we're going to kind of go through these a little bit, and then we'll do the practice together. The first is, is understanding or the looking at it. The Buddha's teaching on the first noble truth or the first noble task the reason why I call it a task rather than a truth is there's actually active language that he gives. He doesn't just say there is suffering. He says uh, to fully know suffering, to turn towards suffering, and maybe even to embrace it. I think one of the trickiest things for getting to the point of practicing compassion is so much of the time when I'm struggling with something, I feel so isolated in it. And there's something in my conditioning, something in this heart and this mind that tells me that I'm the only one or tells me that uh, sharing about it with other people would you know, mean that I'm not doing as good as other people think I should be doing or am doing. You know, we tend to share the things that are easy to share with other people and I have a hard time sharing the things that are hard. So I think we have to be honest about the ways we suffer in order to understand suffering, in order to come into a place of compassion. Mr. Rogers says, anything that's human is mentionable. Anything that is mentionable can become more manageable. When we can talk about our feelings, they become less overwhelming and less upsetting. And what if we took that on as a practice? Anything that is human is mentionable. You know, I've spent the early years of my life in active addiction. And a lot of what prevented me from entering into a place of recovery was the shame and regret of being a person that did what I did in order to continue to get high. And when I found myself around other people that were in recovery, I found a bond with them in being able to share the unmentionable things of my past. I'm really grateful for that. And I know that not everyone has that as a resource in their life. You know, in, in, in the literature of one of the you know, recovery programs I'm a part of, they say that we're like survivors of a near-fatal plane crash. 
you know, and, and we can go to the level of, of war stories and this kind of badge of honor of all the fucked up shit that we've seen and done. But if we go beyond that, we see that there's a tremendous amount of brokenness and trauma, a, a tremendous amount of unsafety. You know, I don't think that this is selective to people that are in, uh, you know, been in active addiction or in recovery either. I think all of us need that, a space and a place where we can just get real about what we suffer with, what we struggle with. You know, some of the most compassionate experiences I've had in my life, I would say the most, is when I have gone to people that I know care about me and I've told them the things that I am most shameful of in my life. And being met with nothing but understanding and empathy and equanimity and compassion in those moments. So when we're struggling, I think the, the barrier for me is it often feels so isolating. And the first thing we have to do is usually step out of that isolation and just say something. You know, I talked about in here before, like the some of the most powerful moments in my life are also like moments where I've had to ask for help and say, I'm fucked up, dude. I don't know what to do. I need help. And those three words, I need help, are like the most powerful words I've ever spoken. And to remember that suffering and, and sorrow and, and pain and reactivity and, and doing things that we're ashamed of is as natural as the air we breathe. There's no such thing as getting it right. We're in a world where there's colliding conditions and impermanence and joys and sorrows and pleasure and pain and praise and blame and status and disgrace. And the worldly winds push us around and we get caught up in them, we get confused, we get reactive, and we cause harm to other people, but mostly to ourselves. So it starts with acknowledging and being honest about the ways we struggle, and, and that's what I would call the, the process of understanding, of looking at it. The second is empathy, and it's not like I go through these in my head, <laughs> you know, when I'm, but maybe it just helps us to kind of like, maybe you take something that you're going through right now and just kind of see where you're at, right? If as I'm talking, you're like, oh yeah, I am kind of struggling with these things. It's like, okay, cool. You're at the first part, part, looking at it. There it comes up. Then empathy is the feeling into it. Empathy literally means to feel with. And it's a key component of compassion. It's a willingness to, in some ways, like I said, I think this happens a lot in the body, is to slow down enough to see how the experience registers in our heart, in our mind, in our body. And meditation is a really great practice to help us, especially with empathy. So when I sit in front of the friend or the family member that's going through the breakup or that lost a parent or, you know, some of these scenarios that I had offered, just noticing what happens in the body in these moments. 
you know, a lot of times what I do end up saying in these situations is I end up saying, you know, oh, my heart breaks for you because I can feel it. And I think empathy and equanimity are very connected because by sitting with what is painful or what's difficult, by looking into it and then sitting with it, naturally space starts to arise. You know, I think sometimes we can get, go two routes with pain. We can either get lost in the pain or we can kind of suppress the pain. And uh, in, in the Buddhist teachings, he offers, these are in the commentaries, that they offer that there are these kind of near enemies of compassion. That sometimes we think it's compassion, but it's actually something else. When we don't really have space for the pain, usually compassion shows up in the form of what they call the near enemies. And one of the near enemies is despair. And despair is where we actually merge with the pain. We get kind of caught or captivated in the hopelessness. You know, and for myself, I think sometimes it's like going through long periods of depression or long periods where there have been struggles. Just like, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of get overcome with despair. Like, you know, there's, there, it's hopeless. When is this going to go away? I can't get out of this. Yeah, I get it. Compassion, compassion, but it's not going away. And we just get caught up in this despair. I think what's helpful here is remembering that every moment is an opportunity to start over again. It's like, can I just be with this moment? I don't have to be with the culmination of the six months that has been happening or the future moments that will be happening? Can I just be with this moment? And, and dropping the story and just feeling just the raw feeling in your body. You know the feelings I'm talking about? These little like twinges of energy and you know what we would maybe call emotion, but it's more primary than that. Just the feeling in the body. So one of the near enemies is despair, and we, we can kind of get caught in feeling overwhelmed. And we add to our suffering by examining the past and obsessing about the future. And the other near enemy of uh, compassion is pity. You know, and none of us like to admit this, and I don't think pity plays out the way that we often think it does. It's not, it's not, we tend to think pity is just like poor me, just kind of sulking. And sometimes it shows up like that, but my, my mind has become more insidious over the years of watching it. It's become more subtle in its pity. And I just, I just kind of call this the, the tendency that my mind has to create a meanness about my pain and suffering. This kind of self-made story of my pain and suffering. I've, like I said earlier, like I, I've always been this way. I'm, I'm always going to be this way. 
it's like, man, dude, you've been going to therapy for five years and you're still dealing with this? Man, you've been meditating for how long and you're still experiencing this resentment? It's just this kind of like inability to really give ourselves a break. Sometimes pity shows up in that way. Like I'm uniquely fucked up. And so I think how this is the near enemy is sometimes we start to, we do start to kind of feel sorry for ourselves. It's not really compassion. You know, none of us would say that we're feeling sorry for ourselves, but we start to witness it in our own mind if we're kind of mindful. And so what is compassion, right? In the Buddhist context, compassion is a very specific thing. Compassion is the wish for ourselves and other beings to be free from suffering. Understanding that we can't be completely free of pain, we wish to be completely free of this self-generated suffering that the mind creates. To be at ease even in moments that aren't easy. To be kind and gentle with ourselves and even in moments that are painful. You know, compassion is just the wish to be free from suffering. And I would say that it's like maybe biggest manifestation, compassion is this nurturing love and support. You know, having a, a child, I have a daughter, having a child will teach you compassion because kids are really good at it are really good in connecting in that space. You know, it's like when my daughter trips and falls, naturally my heart drops. You know, when someone hurts themselves and we gasp, you know, that's like the built-in empathy of our system. You feel it. And then the nurturing love and support, this quality of compassion is this I want nothing more for my daughter than for her to be happy. That's it. There's one thing I want out of her. (laughs) I want her to be happy. Not for me, but for her. And so, for me, like I said at the beginning, compassion is something I can always get behind, but I wasn't quite sure I was capable of early on in my meditation practice. And so this, especially this final kind of part of compassion, which is really the open-hearted wish for others to be free from suffering. And and when we're talking about self-compassion for ourselves, like telling myself, Andrew, I love you, I care about you, I'm here for you, and I wish for you to be free from suffering. Telling myself that in the beginning felt very inauthentic. And many of y'all know that I talk a lot about what I call the myth of authenticity. Is that the path is not to follow your heart, but to train your heart. We still keep trying, even though it doesn't feel authentic. That's the practice of cultivation. And if it helps, something that I learned early on was taught to me on this kind of journey towards compassion. Maybe in the beginning I can't really 
have this, I'm here for you, I care for you, Andrew, I love you, and I wish for you to be free from suffering, but maybe in the beginning I can just hate myself less. And to realize that that's an act of compassion. You know, the self-critical thoughts when you're driving in the car and you're just beating up on yourself. Just take a moment to notice when those are present and be like, yeah, I'm not going to do that anymore. I can't be loving and caring, but I can just stop doing that. (laughs) Hating myself less. And even that kind of goes in the territory of, of mercy. It's not a word we use a lot in this tradition, but... Mercy means when you have the opportunity to make something worse and you choose not to. You know, so if, even if we know that we're doing things in our life that aren't compassionate actions for ourselves, you know, we can start practicing a little bit of boundaries with ourselves and saying like, okay, I'm just not going to text the ex. I'll still get on the dating site and scroll, and, you know, but I'm just not going to do that one, right? <laughs> This is like harm reduction compassion. I'm a big fan of it. Because the thing I've seen over time is that we just often never feel quite ready to get all the way there. And so we just don't start a lot of the time. But to identify these kind of harm reduction compassion as real genuine compassion, I think is helpful. And then maybe over time we hate ourselves less. We show ourselves mercy more. And then we develop more tolerance for the pain and difficulties we experience. And there's more than just tolerance. Tolerance is good, and then maybe we can eventually move into this place of compassion. I love you. I care about you. I'm here for you. I wish for you to be free from suffering. You know, it's, it's amazing to me that over time, my inner voice has become at times, more kind and gentle. And so self-compassion is that I want you to be free from suffering even if I can't do that for me. Even if I can't change the circumstances, right? And like, this is helpful to think about compassion for others. It's like, if you're going through a hard time, I wish for you to be free from that pain and the suffering you're experiencing around the pain, even though I can't make that happen. I still wish it. And the Buddha is saying it's a good thing to wish. Because it's not about the experience, it's about our relationship to the experience. It's not about making things happen as much as it is about creating a kind and compassionate heart and mind. So I want to do a practice together. And the way I've broken this down is I learned this from my teacher, Dave. You know, sometimes during uh, heart practice meditations, we use these lofty phrases like, may I learn to care for the suffering and confusion in my life. May I meet the pain and the suffering in my life with mercy and with empathy. May I be free from any of the extra suffering on top of my pain and suffering or any of the extra suffering on top of the pain that I'm experiencing. These lofty kind of phrases. And I felt like in the beginning, I was just like learning I spent so much effort just learning the phrases. And so my teacher Dave had a really great practice that, that I think really simplified these four aspects of compassion. 
And it is, um, I see you, I feel you, I know you, I care for you, and may you be free from suffering. I see you, I feel you, I care, I know you, I care for you, and may you be free from suffering. So the first is seeing, and seeing is about taking some time, we'll do this at the beginning of the meditation, to reflect, to actually invite in any of the pain or the difficulties that are happening in your life. And a word of note about this is that if you're going through something particularly destabilizing, and I'll let you use your wisdom, trust your intuition here, because we're oftentimes capable of much more than we think we are, but you don't always need to just go for the 50-pound weight. Right? If something is particularly painful in your life, you don't necessarily have to focus your compassion meditation on that today. You can pick a lesser pain. Does that make sense? So during the first part, I see you is about really taking time to reflect and to see and to look into any of the pain or the difficulties, challenges, relationships, work things. And the second and the third are all about getting close. So this is about empathy and equanimity, feeling and knowing. I feel you, I know you, giving space for the feelings that may be in your body. And then the last, I care about you, is the compassion. And we'll do some together. So if you want to just take a moment to stretch your legs, we'll take a couple minutes here. And then we'll get started.